So this morning we're looking at a peculiar story um, out of Genesis 15, um, and you'll, you'll find it on the screen behind me. You'll find it on the screen in front of you or if you've got it with you, uh, Genesis 15. Um, so this is, this is an interaction that, that God has with a guy named Abram. Um, and in, so this is Genesis 15. In Genesis 12, um, God kind of plucks Abram out of obscurity, says, hey, leave, leave your father's house, leave, leave your father's land, and go to the place I will show you. I will bless you, I will make you into a great nation, and all, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Are you familiar with this story? You've, you've heard uh, this story. So this is just is a little while after that, um, that we'll, we'll get into that. I just wanted to remind you of that because it's important later on. Um, so Genesis 15, before we read it, let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you, Spirit, for for your presence with us. Uh, we pray over the next few, few moments and minutes that you, would, that you would open us and that we would hear your voice and that you would do something in us to make us like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And I like, I like this part because God doesn't respond, right? It's almost like there's an awkward silence here. And, and like if, if God had a body and a face, God would be kind of like, like really? Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Awkward pause, silence. So he's like, okay, I'm going to keep talking because this is weird. And Abram said... You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's the end of the story. That's it. That's, that's it. Okay, I don't know what you think, but that's a weird story. Like, that is a strange, strange story filled with this, this, this like ancient, I mean, you, you got to remember, this is like, written down maybe 2,500 years ago or so, but it's talking about things that happened like 4,000 years ago. So there's this ritual that happens in there that's super strange and weird and makes us go, what in the world is that all about? Why, what, what's with the animals and the cutting and the bloody mess and the carcasses? That's gross, that's weird. Before we get there, two things. First, uh, Rob Bell has written a book called What is the Bible? It's a great book. It's a fantastic read. I commend it to you. I think you should read it. You would learn a lot from it. In that book, he has a treatment of this story that I happen to really, really like. Uh, and he's not the only one who has this interpretation of this story, but uh, I'm kind of using some of his material this morning, so I wanted to give that to you up front. So much of what I'm going to say this morning, in, including the story I'm about to tell you, uh, was inspired by a story that he tells in that book. So much of what you'll hear this morning, uh, credit where credit is due, uh, is is from is from a guy named Rob Bell. It's a so this is a gift uh, from Rob Rob Bell. That's the first thing. Second, the story I just talked about a few years ago. Uh, Renee and I were trying our best uh, to sell our 2005 black Ford Freestar van. Uh, we were, and some of you have heard this story before, but here it finally made it into a sermon. Anyway, so we were trying our best to, to sell this 2005 black free Ford Freestar van, and we were having a, a hard time. We had it up on Craigslist for like 43 years, and nobody wanted anything to do with it. Okay, it was, it was more like maybe three weeks or so, but nobody responded to it. And we were getting frustrated. We were like, no, why doesn't anyone want to buy this van? It's perfect. It's reasonably priced. Uh, just somebody, finally, uh, a young pregnant woman uh, contacted us, wanted us to look at, wanted to look at the van because uh, she was going to have a baby and wanted to have a, a larger vehicle so it would be easier to get the baby in and out of. Uh, so we were like, great. So we met her at the Walmart parking lot, her and a friend, uh, and they immediately got out of their vehicle. They started looking at our van and they were super impressed. There's not much rust. Uh, it's in great shape. The interior just looks, it looks beautiful. 
Uh, and Renee and I were thinking they're totally going to buy our van. We're totally, finally going to get this thing off our hands, right? Uh, so they get in, they take it for a spin around the parking lot. Uh, they park and uh, we gave them some space because it's kind of awkward. We wanted them to be able to talk about it for a little bit, probably figure out how they were going to haggle, what kind of deal they were going to make uh, with us. So the, the pregnant woman, remember, she gets out of the, vehicle, out of the driver's side. Uh, she goes to open the sliding door in the back. And as she opens it, the whole thing just goes and falls off the van. And we were like shocked. We were like, what is happening? So we run up to the van. We grab the door and the four of us just struggle to get it back up and we put it back in place. And I step back and I'm like, I'm so sorry. This has never happened before. I promise you, we did not know that was going to happen. This probably changes how you feel about the van, doesn't it? Yeah, they didn't buy the van. Nope, <laughs> they didn't buy it. So what do we do? We put it back up on Craigslist. And probably three or so weeks later, we finally get contacted by a guy who wants to come look at the van. So on a random Tuesday morning, uh, this guy shows up. Uh, he knows by now that the door doesn't work. There's duct tape on the handle. Don't open it. Uh, but he wants to take it for a drive. Uh, so it's now half priced uh, because it has a door that doesn't work. He takes it for a drive. He leaves. Uh, doesn't tell me where he's going, how long he's going to be gone. He just takes your van. You're, you know, you've done this probably before. And it, while he's gone, I had this brief thought that what happens if he doesn't come back? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever tried to sell a car? They take it for a test drive and you're like, oh, what happens if they don't? You'd have to call the police, right? You'd have to get the authorities involved. Well, he came back, phew. Um, and he comes up and he says, I want to buy the van, but I don't have $900. All I have is $840. And I was like, deal. Like, we got to get rid of this van. Like, I didn't care. He could have offered 400. He didn't know that, but I would have been like, just take it. I don't care. Give me a dollar. So anyway, we shake. This is the important part. All the rest of it was for fun. We shake hands because we're making a deal, right? He hands me the money. I put it safely in my pocket. Then I take the appropriate documents that you're supposed to have when you sell a vehicle. We each fill it out. We sign it. We put our name on it. We date it. I get a copy for my records. He takes a copy because he's got to go to the appropriate authorities to get it registered, to pay taxes, to do the transfer of title, and all of that stuff. So we do all that, and it's like, yes, finally, after 43 years, we got this van sold. It's done. So we have this elaborate system for doing business that we're all familiar with, right? We have papers to sign. We have taxes to pay. We have registration responsibilities. If one person doesn't hold up their end of the deal, the bargain, there are consequences to pay. If he had driven off with my van and didn't come back with it, the police would have been called. So we have this elaborate system for doing business. When you swipe your credit card, what do you have to do? You have to put your name on it. You have to sign it in your own handwriting so that people know that you've promised to hold your, up your end of the bargain. We have this system. What happens? 4,000 years ago, when you don't have this elaborate system for doing business in place. 
What happens when you don't have papers to sign, when you don't have taxes to pay, when you don't have registration responsibilities, when you aren't doing things like transferring a title? What do you do? 4,000, how, how do deals get made? How does business get done? To put it simply, you make a covenant. When you enter into a deal with someone, you make a covenant. You swear an oath to do your part. Well, what did that look like? Well, first, you get some animals. You get a cow, you get a goat, you get a ram, you get a pigeon, maybe a dove, and you cut them in half. This is what you do 4,000 years ago when you don't have this system that we have because everyone needs to have some skin in the game. Like, this means something. So you get these animals, these poor animals who did nothing. They did nothing to deserve this. You cut them in half. Then you lay them out with the halves opposite of each other, and you form a kind of bloody animal carcass aisle. Then the two of you stand at one end of this aisle, and you start talking about the deal that you're making. For example, I promise to give you sole ownership of this beautiful black Ford Freestar van with the back door that doesn't open. If you try it, it will fall off, so leave the duct tape on there so that it will remind you not to open the car. I swear to give you full ownership. I promise to give you $840 for this beautiful beast so that I can now take it home. Then, the two of you, side by side, would walk down the bloody animal carcass aisle and you would say something like this, may I become like these animals if I fail to keep up my end of the covenant. Whoa. Things got serious real quick. Like, your life is now on the line. You have now promised, really, really promised to keep up your end of the deal. May I become like these animals if I fail to keep up my end of the covenant. Listen to what Rob Bell says. In earlier cultures, where systems of justice and enforcement were more primitive, and in some cases non-existent, your word was your bond. Rituals like these were like the glue, the bond, the insurance, the way that people trusted each other. Y'all just killed animals for this. This is serious business. Rituals like these were like the glue, the bond, the insurance, the way that people trusted each other, the way that society held together. May I become like these animals if I fail to keep up my end of the covenant. That's how you did business. Genesis 15. God comes to Abram says, don't be afraid, I got your back. To which Abraham essentially replies, um, yeah, Lord, remember back in Genesis 12 when uh, you came to me and you promised to make a great nation out of me? Remember back then when, when, you, when you promised to, uh, to create this new kind of tribe in the world that would be blessed by you and that would be a blessing to the world. It would essentially change the world. Remember, yeah, it's been a really long time since then, and yet I remain childless. 
So he's having some serious doubts about this whole deal, right? Then God brings Abram outside and has him look up at the sky. It's dark, it's night. Count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. And then the next line, it's important. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram just believed the Lord, that the Lord was just going to do something for him. This is huge because this is an upside-down story. This isn't how stories of the gods interacting with human beings normally went. No, no, no. The gods were believed to be distant gods, remote, up there, out there, far, far away. And they were just waiting for you to do all kinds of stuff to gain their favor, to give the kinds of sacrifices that they required if you wanted, them to, if you wanted to appease their anger, if you wanted to keep the gods, the deities, on your side. So that's what you did. You did whatever it took. You sacrificed whatever it took. You did you often sacrificed everything you had just so that you could get on the good side of these gods and maybe they'll take care of you. But this story is different. This story is about a God who comes, who keeps promising and insisting that he's just going to do good things for Abram. No requirements. God's just going to give. This is backwards. Abram doesn't have to do anything and Abram believes it. Abram trusts this God. In the ancient world, this is backwards. This is revolutionary. This is something new. This is something different. This is an idea that had never been considered before. And here it is. So next, Abram, God tells Abram that God's going to give him some land. Right? And Abram asks, how do I know that I'm going to be able to take this land, that I will gain possession of it. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. God doesn't have to tell Abram what to do because Abram knows what's going on here. God doesn't say, bring me these animals and then cut them in half and arrange them in an aisle. He just knows that this is what you do. He knows he's about to enter into a covenant with God. So Abram does what you do. God then tells Abram about all kinds of things that are going to happen to his people. The sun goes down and the story's over, almost over. A smoking fire pot then appears with a burning torch and it passes through the pieces God again promises Abram children and a home, then the story's over. Right? You get what's happening here, right? Of course you do. The presence of God in the smoke and fire passes through the pieces alone. Again, that's not how this is supposed to work. Abram is supposed to be next to the smoking fire pot and burning torch. They're supposed to go through together. They're supposed to stand there and say, this is what I'm going to do. 
this is what I'm going to do. And then you walk through it together and you say, may I become like these animals if I don't hold up my end of the covenant. But God goes through it alone, requiring nothing from Abram. God is committing to holding up both ends of the deal. Even if Abram messes up, even if Abram uh, even if Abram makes a mess of things, God promises that God will be faithful. So Abram, again, is being invited to just trust God, to believe that God will be faithful, to be in a relationship with a living God. And Rob Bell says this, this is a brand new idea in history. This is revolutionary. So in this story, fundamentally, we learn that God is different than people thought the gods were like. God isn't an angry, petulant God. God isn't demanding all kinds of things from us so that he will then take care of us because we've appeased God's anger. We've we've gained God's favor. No, God walks through the pieces all alone. I will keep my end of the covenant even if you make a mess of things. I will take care of you even if you make a mess of things. So in this story, God is revealed as just the God of grace a God of love, a God of generosity, a God of of hope. God's just going to do. And it says that Abram believed the Lord. Not believed in the Lord. Not believed certain things about God. But just trusted in the Lord. That's what God is looking for. A relationship of trust. To just trust that God is grace, that God is love, that God is generosity, and that God is just going to provide everything that we need to live a flourishing life. There are no requirements. It's just gift. It's just gift. This God just gives. And what strikes me as the people of God is that we have an opportunity, just like Abram did, to reflect that back to the world. We have an opportunity to reflect the character of God back to the world because we've been made in the image of God. So here's the deal. We don't exist here to demand things from people. We don't exist here to make sure that people believe the right things about God in order to get to heaven. We don't exist here to tell people how they ought to live or how they ought to act. We don't exist in the world as a sort of, as a sort of uh, body that polices the behavior of anyone in this room or anyone else in the world. We don't exist for that. We exist to reflect back to the world the character of God. That's why we're here as the people of God. That's why I love what we do here so often. Every so often, we'll invite an organization in here and we'll just give. So we invited you, Tara, into our space to tell us about the good, good work of Martha's House of Hope. And then all we did was give you a gift. It's just grace. There's no requirements. You, don't, you can use that for whatever you want to. It's just gift. We're just trying our best to reflect back to God 
back to the world, the character of God. It's, it's why I love so much the, the relationship we've built with the bridge home. We don't require anything from them. Well, we do. We ask Andrea to come in here every once in a while and just tell us how things are going. That's it. That's the only requirement. And then we support them financially because it takes a lot of resources to do the good work that they do in this world. And, and then we'll go there and we've done all sorts of things with our hands and our feet. We've cleaned apartments. We've done yard work. We've trimmed the hedges. We've organized storage, planned to do more. We're doing a book drive. No requirements from them. It's just gift. It's just grace. All we're trying to do is just reflect the character of God back to the world. We are who we are because of who God is. And I think that's why it's so important that we're here. And we want more and more people to be involved in what it is that God is doing here so that we can give more and more of ourselves away. We want, we want more and more people, we want to invite more people in so that we can partner with more organiz organizations out there. We want to remain lean in here, which means let's spend less money on ourselves so that we can be more grace in the community. So we exist to be in a relationship with God, to know God, so that we can bear the image of God well in the world. And what's the best way for us to do that? The best way is to learn more about Jesus. Eventually we got to get to Jesus, right? Who shows us exactly who God is and what it looks like to be a human being. And what did Jesus do? Well, we read the stories about him in the Bible, and he just walks around giving himself away, offering healing, offering forgiveness, putting people's lives back together again so that they can live flourishing lives, right? He just loved the world. So we don't exist here. We're not here to tell people what to believe or how to act. There are plenty of places who make that their mission, right? The world doesn't need more of that. We're here to invite people. Let's make it as simple as we can. We're here just to invite people into a relationship with the living God who is love. We're here. Let's make it as simple as we can to love God and love people. That's what Jesus said the most important thing, right? Love God. God's going to do what God's going to do. God's already promised to give us what we need. The only question is, how do we respond to that? And how do we reflect that well back to the world? Let's pray.